you know, when you create a company, they say you want to create a moat, right? You don't want to just be incrementally better. You want to be a hundred times better. Because if you're just incrementally better, people are just going to copy you the moment you have success. So that's the beauty with this is Coca-Cola's had their logo on their can for 130 years. Do you think they're just going to take it off? They can't. If they do, their stock will plummet, just like when Facebook switched to Meta and changed the business model. The market doesn't like, in, you know, market doesn't like quick change like that. But um, we can earn in the future more, more than $1,000 off of a single free beverage or free banana or free slice of pizza. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. Look at that. There you go. You got the clap with me. And Josh Clifford's welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I love this show because of its theme, Overcome, and how do we win this fight called life, and we share common ground on a passion when it comes to water, providing water to people, and I think it's a very noble thing, but also uh, an idealistic vision that you have, but I think you're making it into reality, and so it's called Free Water. And you sell advertising and almost like a billboard on the water where I see on this one, it has P Terry's the burger stand. And then on the back, it's got a great cause for Austin pets alive. It's got two adorable pups on there, Mr. M and Kayla who are trying to be donated. So if people are in Austin and they can support adopted, adopted, what did I say? Donated. Donated. (laughs) They're trying to get them adopted. Yeah. Well, they're kind of donating the They'll dog to donations. the family. Yeah, sure, They'll take some sure, donations and they're sure. going to donate you an animal. Maybe Mr. M, <laughs> the, the adorable dog yeah. on there. Mm. And so. Well, I'm particularly excited about this episode because I know Josh and have had him on my show and is one of my favorite episodes. And so I'm so excited that you get to dive in with him yeah. and hear even more about his story and about what Free Water is doing, what he's doing and his vision for the world. Yeah. I'm so excited. Free water, maybe free beer. Uh, what was the, what were we just talking free about? Free everything, Smart. Justin, actually. Free, free everything. Free water is just the first product of our future free supermarkets here in the States. Wow. And then free vending machines? Yep, free vending machines coming soon. Wow. Before South by Southwest this next year. That's, that's the goal, that's yeah. That's the goal. That's the plan. Well, Josh, introduce free water to us, and then we'll get into your story. We'll get into how this came about, and then the vision for the future as well. Sure. Um, free water is just the first product of our future free supermarkets or free Amazon, however you want to frame it. Wow. Um, and free we, we do aluminum bottles and paper cartons of natural spring water, and it's free because the packaging is the ad space. And it works because the price of advertising has outpaced consumables such as groceries. And so uh, you could print anything on the package. 
You could connect anything on the internet with a QR code. And if you want to even advertise beyond the packaging, you could put whatever you want with augmented reality. So it's almost a, we call it a triple blank canvas, three, three layers of real estate there per bottle. So, wow. And when you say augmented reality, um, so let's say Fight for the Forgotten as a nonprofit. If we had a donor that wanted to sponsor a bottle to put instead of Austin Pets Alive, but Fight for the Forgotten there. And let's say I was, we're, we're helping a village right now in Uganda. We're going to build a water reservoir because it's very hard to drill a well in these mountains surrounded by the rainforest. We're also going to do rain catchment. But with, I've never seen in my life people do this kind of water walk. And I've gone on every one that we've ever drilled a well for when I was, when I was there. So the first 13 wells we drilled, I would go on the walk with them and see what their daily grind was like. And they're carrying 20 liter jerry cans, which are 40 pounds, 40 pounds. Yep, five gallons, and they'll do it two at a time. Yep. And... Oftentimes, just that water walk is four hours round trip. And so the, these people are doing that, but they're going up and down mountains, and they're actually rock climbing to get to the spring. One month out of the year, it's a little waterfall. But right now, they're literally having to take a small cup, fill it up halfway, um, basically in the sand, uh, right behind a rock, and then fill up their 20 liters. That right there alone takes them about 15 to 30 minutes per jerry can just to fill it up from the cup because the water has to fill back up. And so the ledge that they're walking on is literally not wider than their feet. It's about a three-inch ledge. Someone recently fell, and they died instantly. And so if one day we wanted to film that walk, which we have video of it, but could you make that into augmented reality where on the bottle – they could scan it, and then if they had some sort of uh, device, they could like go on that water walk with us. The answer is always yes, but when it comes to software, it's it's like souping up a car. You want a thousand horsepower; it obviously costs more. And so, yeah, yeah. there's different types. There's three main categories of augmented reality. The okay. first ones are anchored, so that means. Let's say if the cat or dog was the anchor, okay. that means if you moved your phone's viewfinder and it no longer picked up the cat or dog, the augmented reality would blank out. So you could augment reality so it's connected to the bottle but still beyond the packaging but attached to the anchor. Another one that you could do is you could attach to the anchor a video player. So it would almost be like just through your phone you could see the video crossed across wow. the bottle. Or uh, my favorite, but it does take a lot more artwork, you could scan something on the bottle and then not attach it to anything and then put any of those things in your living room. Mm. And so that could be the big video player. That could be any sort of experience. And so the answer is everything's possible. Wow. Wow. I think that's part of your philosophy too. Like everything's possible. I love that outlook. Where does that come head. from? Where it's, where do you think that began in you? Where it's like, why isn't this happening? This should happen. Like, I don't think anyone's really going out and giving free water. Um, you know, you go to the store, you buy buy your bottle of water. I mean, you can go to a restaurant and get free water there. Um, you can get it from your tap, but you're still paying for it there. Um, where did this all begin? Yeah, so um, I basically went on a lot of adventures in my mid to late 20s. I used to own a gym for athletes in L.A. I trained a lot of pro athletes. 
I was tired of pr- training athletes because I was more athletic than most of them. They were just better at baseball, basketball, soccer than I was, obviously. So I was like, I'm not done pushing myself. I got rid of the gym, didn't know what I was going to do. I bought an RV, like an old uh, 1980s Toyota Dolphin one, the, the four-cylinder, you know, couldn't go more than like 40 miles per hour. I've never even heard of a Toyota Dolphin. And so uh, <laughs> I traveled around America for about a year and a half, Yeah, ran out of gas money, sold it. Uh, went to South America for about half of a year and didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided that I didn't want to be a personal trainer. I wanted to get paid to take people on adventures somehow, mm. like a Bear grills. Nice. And so uh, knowing that I didn't have those skills, I enlisted in the Army to go from civilian to special forces medic, which was the hardest job that I could apply for job training-wise. It was like three years of training. And then I fractured my back in airborne school, pushed through that, and then broke my leg in the very beginnings of special forces training and they medically retired me. And so then I was out, I was about to be 30. So for my 30th birthday, I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna sell everything I own. I'm gonna do a a trip around the world this time. And my goal was 100 countries in four years. Wow. And so I was on uh, country 25 or so, month eight or nine, I was in Rome for five minutes. And then I was blown away by the story of these two Nigerian refugees. And I had felt guilty because I was on this trip around the world, uh, living it up, parting my ass off. And um, there was refugees all over Europe. But if you read the USA news, it didn't matter if it was like CNN or Fox. It basically said, hey, these refugees were tainted. There's something wrong with them. And I didn't agree with that. So I canceled my trip around the world. I made a nonprofit called Save the Refugees. And we fundraised money and helped more than 10,000 people in 18 months. That's awesome. And it was those people's stories that, kind of opened my eyes to the whole water food medicine crisis because at least 20% of the people we worked with said they left their country because they didn't have water, food, or medicine. Mm-hmm. And so that's when the brainstorming for this kind of started. Wow. So when you say you helped 10,000 people, what was what was some of the needs that you met? Well, at first it started, we were just giving them food, um, clothing. A lot of the work that we did was in Belgrade, Serbia, and it was the winter time. Some of these people from Afghanistan wow. are wearing sandals when it's like this deep in snow. And so yeah. a, lot, a lot of it was shoes, socks, gloves. Right. But um, we noticed a need to be their best friend because we found that the big box nonprofits treated them subhuman, like take this food and get the fuck out of my face. And so a lot of these people needed a friend. We'd be like, hey, what can we do to make your day better today? Sometimes they wanted a pack of Marlboros. Sometimes they wanted a bottle of beer. So we gave them what they wanted. We listened to them and they all had a lot of really sad stories. Yeah. And so, uh, and it went back to water, food and medicine. 80% of them because we bombed their house to the ground. 20% of them because they didn't have water, food or medicine. And so after hearing those stories, I was already working on a free project at the time for transportation. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do free water, food, medicine one of these days. And then um, it all started like really dove in. I was making a video for free taxi uh, later on, like a year and a half later. And the camera guy wanted a box or he wanted some water. So we go into the 7-Eleven by Times Square. And there I saw some boxes of boxed water is better. Are you familiar with the brand? Mm-hmm. I looked at it. I was like, what an ugly logo and what a waste of real estate. And then I looked at the box and I remembered the missing people on the milk cartons from back in the day. And I was like, wait a minute. We've always had the ability to print photogenic imaging on pack- images on packaging. It must be better now than 50 years ago. But now everybody has a phone in their pocket with a built-in QR code reader and NFC chip scanner. So you could bring anything to life. 
And so I uh, pivoted from that into free groceries and been working on it beyond full time since 2017. Wow. And so what's the process of, of dreaming up this vision? I mean, was it a, a sketch on a napkin? Was it just all in your head? Was it, uh, was it putting together like slideshow presentations and, and projections? And I mean, to have this idea for free water now, five years ago, and then to be making it happen. I mean, Amy and I, uh, stumbled upon you at a pumpkin patch. Uh, and I, I got to, I think that was that our first time to meet Yeah, the other week. Yeah. yeah the other week was, that was our first time to meet, but I met some of your team before too. Some of them were at one of my speaking engagements and they just came up and they were like, you got to meet Josh, you got to meet Josh. But I've had Amy telling me for quite a long time, you got to meet Josh, you got to meet Josh and have him on the show. I was like, this is a Rogan level conversation. Like yeah. this is, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it's really, it's really innovative and uh, smart. And so, but I, I definitely want to know how, how you're doing it and, and, and where you're headed. Sure. So um, I guess going back, um, my wife and I, when we, so we're doing the refugee thing, uh, we did that for about a year and a half. We, we eventually stopped doing it. It got so depressing and there was, it was just a bandaid fix. It wasn't solving the problem. Mm -hmm. So we got married. Uh, we moved to the small country of Montenegro and we were retired, uh, living on the beach there. And so one day I had a beer and I was like, you know what, I'm going to kind of mess around, draw some stuff in the sand. I bet that I could solve this stuff. And then a few hours later, I realized any product that's currently sold at a Walmart, Costco, or Target, we can not only make free, but free plus charity and make money from that. And so uh, I didn't want to work on this stuff because, A, it sounded kind of scary. Are you going to disrupt like every big company, like big water, big textile, big, you know, big pharma, big whatever? And then B, I couldn't type or use a computer. And so it's like, how was I going to be a founder of a tech startup if I don't even know how to type? And I'm, I was always really bad at reading. Now I know I have dyslexia. So mm. I'm, I'm like the worst reader out there. And so it just seemed too daunting. So I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to do this. And then I quit. But then like 90 or 100 days later, I felt so guilty because I was like, you could save those 40 million lives a year and you're not going to do it because you're scared that it's going to be hard. Or you're scared that Nestle is going to be pissed. So I, I broke out a computer, taught myself how to type, and that was the beginning. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I think it's unique whenever you learn something out of purpose or when you raise the bar of necessity. Like, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out because it's important. I remember I went and I saw the water crisis for the first time and I, I buried a young boy. Um, he was one and a half years old and he wasn't just sick of waterborne disease, but he was denied hospital treatment. Not once, but twice. His mom was told you're too dirty to come in here. Second time they said, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. So treating him subhuman. And I dug the grave and... Uh, yeah. Then after that, I was like, uh, before, before that moment, I was saying this problem's too big. I'm too small and I'm a fighter. No, I don't have a nonprofit. I don't have the ability to do this. And so I was giving myself excuses. You know, I, 
I've been adopted into this tribe. I do love them, but the only thing I can really do is help give them a voice, whether it's through podcasting or fighting or whatever it is. I'm like, how do you do the rest? And then it's like, all right, I'll go to Home Depot and I'll go to howtodrillyourownwell.org and I'll start trying to dig a well in my backyard. And then everything was breaking and breaking and breaking. And it was basically like an eight month period where nothing worked. And then I got some training and then I took 16 check bags um, to Africa, each one weighing 50 pounds or 49.8 pounds. And it was just a moment to say, hey, this these people are just like what you were saying, the 40 million people suffering. Like these people, this cause, um, this issue, water, we do water, food, and medicine. Um, and so anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that that you're a kind of guy that says, okay, this is a need. I'm going to help meet it. I'm going to create it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the fact is, unfortunately, if the government wanted to solve these things, they would solve it. And they also wouldn't have made water a publicly traded commodity a few years ago if they didn't want the price of water to spike to the moon in the upcoming years. And so that's what sucks is that I have to do this simply because the governments won't solve it. And so I just kind of worked backwards. Um, I believe, you know, if you ask the government, these things are going to cost like $300 billion to solve. But hey, we spent a trillion dollars just in the war in Afghanistan. So obviously mm. they could have solved it if they wanted to. But my calculations are actually, you could end the global water crisis permanently, for example, for less than $10 billion. And so then it was like, well, where to get that money? And so I realized, okay, um, if I donate a minimum of 10 cents per beverage to charity, the average American spends three to 500 bucks on bottled water every year. Now I just have to get people to save money 10%. How much is that? The average person spends three to 500 bucks a year in the wow. USA on bottled water. Um, and so now we just need the average, we just need to get 10% of Americans to save money and drink our free product every day. And we'll end the global water crisis permanently a few years after without a penny of tax dollars. Wow. And then every new product we offer afterwards is going to donate to a different charitable cause. Yeah. That's impressive. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a to solve the world's water crisis, have you have you noticed any issues in the NGO or nonprofit world when it comes to implementation of drilling wells? Well, as you know, just in Africa alone, what is it like 60% or 40%, you know, 50% of wells that people drill break down in the first 180 days. So not it's, all. It's uh, at a low estimate, it's 40% of them break. And at a probably a real estimate, it's about 60, 60%. That's why when we talked the other weekend, I was like, that's why so far we've donated everything to Well Aware because they had a 100% guarantee yeah. on their work. It was more expensive, but 100% lifetime guarantee. I spoke to other nonprofits out there. They have zero guarantee. And I yeah. was like, well, what happens if your well breaks down? They're like, well, it's that whole give a man a fish, teach him how to fish. If they can't fix their well, like they're, they're shit out of luck pretty much. Yeah. But then you have to, you have to take ownership of as an organization, not training them, not equipping them, not educating them and not empowering them to be able to do that. So there's, there's, that's what we do is we like give them the tools. We train them how to drill the wells, how to maintain the wells. They start like a, a local little treasury or board um, that, mm -hmm. that puts aside 
like maintenance cost, um, just very small amounts, but a well might break down and it's a $2 or a $200 max fix normally. And, but the sad fact, um, or the reality people need to face is that there's 230,000 broken wells in Africa right now. And that's minimum 230,000 broken wells. That's billions of wasted charitable dollars just in Africa. And that's because the locals are put on the bench or they're put in the stands. They're not even on the team and they're not included to be part of solving their own problem. If you ask those other nonprofits, they all have their boards and they all, but Mm -hmm. they don't take ownership of it. Like you're saying you've been doing. And so that's, that's the problem. They all, they all have the blanket statement. Oh, we have a board and we make half of them women because women are, which is true. Women are the ones that are bearing the burden of fetching the water. But even though they're saying a lot, it's still bullshit. I mean, they're not, if it breaks, they're not fixing it. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org, join our fight club. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and there'll be a big sign of the NGO that came there and drilled it. And it's like a a massive billboard. A massive billboard for failure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then even not even for only for failure, but if you think about for the people that are there who don't know how to drill the well, don't know how to get the water, don't know how to maintain the well because they just because they weren't educated or included. Now when that well's drilled and they erect a sign to it, it's like, this isn't ours, it's theirs. And so when it breaks, they think, well, they have to come back and fix it. So it's just a broken model, meaning if if the only option is for the, someone else to do it for them, they'll settle for that. But it's it's kind of crippling to a community or at least to the human spirit to be like a father not able to provide water for his his wife and children who are carrying the burden, carrying the water, um, or for anyone to be able to be part of it. And so I think the most crippling part is the journey that they're taking. Yeah. And then a nonprofit comes in, Hey, we're going to save the day and we're going to build this water system for you. And then it breaks down in 180 days. Mm -hmm. So to do that few hour walk every day to carry 50 pounds in each hand, every, you know, to sacrifice your education or any of your free time to yeah. go 
like survive. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, yes, now I could do anything. I'm yep. going to go to school and become a doctor or whatever. Yep. And then within 180 days up oh, back to the back walk to again. Yep. And so I think that's the most crippling part to be at, at the lowest of the low almost then to be at the highest of highs mm-hmm. and then right back to where you started within half of a year. Yeah. And to have the mother be able to go get a job or the children to be able to go to school and then to be basically plucked out of that. But not only that, you got to think about the water crisis and what it does. They have intestinal amoebas or parasites or viruses. And once you're able to take the medicine with clean water, not with dirty water. So you're taking, you're washing, normally they're washing the pills down with dirty water. And so it's to help them survive, not, not to cure it, but to just keep it at bay. And then you get clean water and you can take the medicine again. I've, I've put hundreds of people on a scale to be able to give them the different types of medicine and get it out of their body so that they have clean water. But now you are in the process of healing over six months. Like it's a, it's a process to heal and to make sure you have clean water the whole time. But now it's the well goes down and literally the fix might just be taking the top of it off, pulling it up to where you can see, okay, there was a coupling that, that got stripped a little. All we have to do is put another coupling on there or it's, it's literally just screwing a piece of PVC on or a little spot of galvanized steel that costs nothing. But if they don't have the tools to do it or the education to know how now they're sick again. And now the kids, even if they're in school or the mother gets to keep her job, they're going to spend, or the father going to work, they're going to start spending time at home from being sick during the day. It's crazy. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And so for, for you, the overarching mission is to get this all over the nation. Yeah. So the counterintuitive part is, um, we happen to live in a country with a large population. And so just by getting 10% of Americans, our future free suite of negatively priced groceries, because everything's free plus charity and we still profit. So it's negatively priced. That's a windfall of donations to all sorts of different causes. And it was important to figure out a way to do it without tax dollars, because again, if the government wanted to do it, they would, they would already. And so, so yeah, just get Americans to save money and we could do a lot of amazing things. And so who's your key market for, for this or for advertising? I'm just thinking, you know, you'd love as many and as big as possible and as, uh, buying hundreds of thousands of bottles at a time. But if someone wants to get involved now and you're kind of, um, not a startup phase, but, but a building out and building up stage, you know, uh, maybe it's someone going to a, a convention and they want to be able to have free water to give, or it's someone with a small business or someone with a podcast and being able to drink your water on the show that promotes their show and, and a cause that either they love or that y'all support, um, or school, maybe it's a, a school or special Olympics, you know, whenever they come there and they have their events, how would they, how would they get a hold of you and, or your team and, and see that some of these bottles are made? Oh, uh, they reach out through the website, freewater.io, fill out a, get a quote. Amy's got that pulled up and, now that we can um, pulled up on screen for Spotify. Yeah, the, the beauty YouTube. is it's a literal blank canvas. And so it's whatever, it's whatever you want it to be. 
right? And so um, we've got traditional marketing use cases, uh, Department of Defense use cases, which we spoke to the government about the other day, uh, humanitarian aid. So like in the future, when there's that big hurricane or whatever, mm. you're not going to hand them a bottle of Dasani or Evian. You're going to print the life-saving information on the packaging. This is where the food drop is. This is how you apply a tourniquet. This is how you purify water, scan this QR code to get the latest info from the government, scan that one to give the government the info they don't need. So it could be whatever you want. I spoke to a large corporation the other day. They're like, what can you do for us? I said, well, on one hand, you could use it to advertise. On the other hand, since you're already buying bottled water in your corporate office, you should be buying this instead and print all of the different ways that people are going to hack your employees. So that way you could prevent a hack. I said, hey, if it prevents one hack every five or 10 years, that you saved a billion dollars or more right there on a non-cost because you're already spending money on bottled water in the office. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder what else they could do, you know, um, employee of the month or <laughs> I mean, anything, some, anything. Know, yeah. yeah, they could do their core values, remind people of that, or they could say, this is the charity we support this month or go find out about what we're doing in the community. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty is it, it's a blank canvas. And so other, other companies use their real estate to advertise themselves. That's really limiting. We use it to advertise others. And so that's why people are always like, well, why hasn't this happened before? And I just say it's really counterintuitive because if Coke asked Pepsi if we could advertise on your can, they would say, of course not. But the truth is they would 100% their revenue. So why not? Mm. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Tell us more. (laughs) So that's, um, you know, when you create a company, they say you want to create a moat, right? You don't want to just be incrementally better. You want to be a hundred times better. Because if you're just incrementally better, people are just going to copy you the moment you have success. So that's the beauty with this is Coca-Cola's had their logo on their can for 130 years. Do you think they're just going to take it off? They can't. If they do, their stock will plummet, just like when Facebook switched to Meta and changed the business model. The market doesn't like in, you know, market doesn't like quick change like that, but, um, we can earn in the future more, more than a thousand dollars off of a single free beverage or free banana or free slice of pizza. Also, um, it's open source cause we want them to copy. They'll just be really slow with it, but the free products enable a new ways, free and negatively priced goods enable new ways to manufacture and distribute. And so they, they built their infrastructure incorrectly for a world where things cost money. So you get, so you get the, don't you love that? Yeah. It's a trip. Yeah. It's a trip. It's a total trip. It's a trip. Um, so how does this get distributed? Like what do you, what are the distribution models? People pay for the advertising, but how does it get into the consumer's hands? So in these early days, this is less than MVP or less than version 1.0. And so even in these earliest days, we have two main business models. We have B2B where we ship anywhere in the lower 48 states directly to them, and they distribute it how they see fit. Um, And we have direct to the consumer, which only exists in Austin at a limited capacity right now. Uh, The distribution in Austin helped us to create 100 million impressions in the last 12 months alone through social media, because people love seeing free stuff that goes to charity. But um, in the future, you'll get it from us three different ways, in no particular order. You'll get it from your local (coughs) supermarket, And the reason why a Whole Foods or whatever market will 
distribute this is they're going to make more money distributing free water than they could earn selling other brands. Hmm. Then you're going to get it from a free vending machine. And then we're going to get it directly to your doorstep. And once we have free water going to your doorstep, that's when we add the free soda, the free beer, uh, the free fruits, the free vegetables. And then X number of years later, we're that free Amazon. So you say when free water at your doorstep, people consume water at different paces, right? So if someone wants to order 100 bottles or 1,000 bottles, they'll be able to do that? Do that? So not 1,000, unless okay. the advertiser wanted to. Okay. If an advertiser said, hey, uh, send 1 million waters to Amy Edwards' doorstep, <laughs> if Amy said okay, why would we say no, right? Okay. But yeah. um, so the direct to your doorstep's a different model. Okay. Because when, whenever you hear on the news the supply chain is broken, they should just say the supply chain is stupid. Because the products that you buy at your local supermarket sometimes travel 10,000 miles to get to your market. And wow. so this new infrastructure we're talking about, it, it gets rid of 90 plus percent of the current supply chain. And so um, if this table right here was Austin in front of us, um, most companies would build one mega factory, like a Budweiser, Coke, Pepsi. And then you ship stuff across a town, city, state, country in the world. The further you ship it, the worse it is for the environment, the more the end user pays. But free products and negatively priced products encourage a decentralized micro-fulfillment model. So we would have 20 micro-factories in Austin in the future, each, the, each twice the size of a McDonald's. And in that small of a footprint, we can manufacture 250 million beverages a year. Hmm. And so they'll just supply the local community. And since it's free plus charity, everyone's a customer. So we'll be delivering free water and free groceries to thousands of homes in a row. You can't do that when a product costs money. If Amazon wanted to, they couldn't even deliver to 10 homes in a row because how are they going to force you to buy their product? And so it's this new level of efficiency plus these new revenue streams that just, it's unbeatable. Yeah. Well, I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for you. And so let's get into your personal story some, and we'll come back to, to free water and free groceries and everything else. But Sounds like, how long were you in the military for? Uh, just two years. Two years. And then what was it like growing up? Where did you get this kind of compassion? And um, I think all of us have an overcome story where we've had to, we were faced with some of life's greatest challenges. And then we had to sometime, somehow, some way rise up and overcome I mean, to get here to where you are now, um, you shared a little bit about it with seeing the refugees, hearing about water, food, and medicine, how we can solve that. And But what was, what was life growing up for you like? And then I just want to know about the, the man behind the mission. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest turnaround year for me was my 22nd birthday. Okay. Because before that, I was scared of everything. I was a super picky eater. And... So I was just like, all right, I don't want to be that person anymore. So from my 22nd birthday, I'm going to face every fear that I have. You know, I was scared of heights. So I jumped out of a plane a few times. One was, I, you know, one I thought could be a fluke. So I did it a few times. I was scared of um, swimming in super deep water. So I started doing some free diving and some other stuff. I was scared to get in a fight. So I just volunteered to spar at every gym in LA. Um, <laughs> Got my ass beat a bunch of times. And then after <laughs> yeah. I faced like this whole list of fears that I made, I was like, okay, what's next? It was like, I kind of removed this glass ceiling that I had imposed on myself. And then that's when I like got the nerve. I was like, you know what? I'm making a lot of money, but I'm just going to get rid of my gym business. And 
start doing other things. And the adventures just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And then for sparring, were you doing MMA or boxing or kickboxing? Uh, I would go to uh, John Jock Jiu-Jitsu for about nice. half of a year. John Jock Machado. I would get uh, beaten up all the time. I'd do boxing, kickbox. I mean, anything. I okay. would just sign up. And at that time, I was a lot bigger. I was uh, 180, 185. And so, yeah, I just would get beat up every week. You know, I'd have like black eye sometimes at my gym and people are like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, just uh, like I said, I just stopped um, being scared of stuff. And that, that was really helpful. And when you were a picky eater, were you a mayonnaise guy or no mayonnaise? Mayonnaise on a sandwich, but like I wouldn't eat bananas. I wouldn't eat eggs. I wouldn't eat cheese unless it was like melted on a burger or a pizza. It was like cheesy. Cheese. I didn't eat anything. And so like, uh, I went on a trip to Costa Rica and almost everything I was scared to eat, I just put in (laughs) on the table. Yeah. And then that, that pretty much took care of that stuff. That's good. I, I, I still don't like mayonnaise. No mayonnaise. I I used to have to make coleslaw at my grandfather's, uh, barbecue restaurant. And I just haven't huge jars of mayonnaise. I mean, like gallon, two gallon jars. Um, yeah. What are you scared of now? And do you apply that same thing when you notice it? I think now my biggest fear has always been lack of time because I really always push myself beyond a hundred percent to try to accomplish as many things as possible. But no matter how hard you work, there's only so many hours in a day, only so many days in your life. So I think time is always the biggest one, but everyone has that same issue. So what are you going to do? Come on. Can't you, can't you create more time too? You're doing the rest of it. <laughs> free time. Free, free time. Yeah. Free time. That's, that's version 8.0 or 10.0. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're a guy that wants to not only live and love, but, but matter, you know, you want, you want your time here on earth to matter and to give what seems to be a radically big gift, um, to the world. And, uh, I mean, door to door to everyone in Austin, but the nation and then it providing clean water to the world. I think too, just to tack onto that, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I remember when we talked was, you know, this feeling of feeling guilty if you don't do it. Like when you have an idea or this impetus or this sense of, oh my gosh, this should happen. And you kind of wait for someone else to do it, but you finally have to do it, which I'm sure you know too, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's, um, I've never really had a fear of, of, I guess, dying or a fear of not doing things because, um, except for like my greatest fear is at the end of my life, you know, what woulda, coulda, shoulda happened, who could I have helped, who could I have loved, um, what could I have left? Um, that really outlives me that it's not about me, but it's important enough to be here in the world. So I got to help put it into action, whether it was mine or it was a gifted to somebody else, but just making sure that like we leave this world better than we found it. And yeah. So where, where does that come in for you? As Amy said, just guilt. I'm the only entrepreneur that I've ever met 
in, in like Silicon Valley or Austin in this startup community that just runs on guilt. Because when <laughs> I realized, when I realized that we could save a hundred thousand lives a day and I'm not going to work on it because I'm, I can't type or I can't, I don't want to disrupt these big companies that sound dangerous for my wife and I, I just felt so guilty. And so, um, you know, it took me five years to accomplish what I foolishly thought I was going to do in one or two. And so, uh, there was like super low lows. And then when I thought it couldn't get any lower, there was like 10 floors of even the deepest, darkest depths of startup hell. And um, if there wasn't that guilt or if there wasn't the why behind what I invented, I would have quit years ago. And oh yeah, and so, you know, everyone has that, that day where you don't want to do stuff. And for me, it's always that guilt that gets me working on the project 24 seven. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if you feel like there's a difference between guilt and shame. I've heard it said before that guilt is I did something bad and shame is I am bad. And so I'm wondering if guilt in your mind, yeah, you're doing it out of guilt, but really it's not really, but with that comes uh, uh, an ownership or a responsibility because I think guilt can, can be, can lead into trans transformation or can lead into making changes that you're needed to make. Um, whenever you guilt is kind of this, uh, this check check-in or checkpoint where it's like, Oh shoot, I feel guilty that I did that. And if you don't let it get to shame where it stops you from becoming who you're supposed to be, but you let it kind of mold you, shape you and make you grow, then guilt can be a tool to better, better yourself and, and better the world around you. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was the guilt that I knew I could do it, but I wasn't going to push myself to that level again. Um, because when I wanted to be an athlete, I pushed myself to the extreme. Yeah. When I wanted to be a Green Beret, I pushed myself to the extreme. When I was volunteering with the refugees, I pushed myself as hard as I could to help those people. I just, at that time, for whatever reason, I felt like I didn't have any more of those drives. And especially on something that was much bigger than anything I ever tried to tackle before. And I didn't, I wasn't successful fully to what I wanted to do at those things. You know, I got hurt before I got my green beret, stuff like that. And so the first thing I try to do, I try to give away the idea. You know, I try to contact like the Gates Foundation. I try to contact these people. But since I can't read or write very well, they probably looked at my email like, who the fuck is this guy saying? And, and so I couldn't give the idea away. And so that's when it all started. Um, but because it was a different type of project, I gave myself numerous outs to win. Before in the past, and with any of my entrepreneurial endeavors, other than a failed nonprofit or two, um, I had one way to win, which was make money. And so this time I was like, all right, I got to give myself two ways to win. Way number one, we're going to make such a compelling case that the world's largest companies squash us like a bug and open a better free supermarket that donates more money to charity. If that happens, we save those lives anyways, we win. Way number two, I, I get my money back. Yeah. And so we, we're pretty confident if we quit today, we already accomplished that the worst case scenario because people are already starting to copy from around the world. Some big companies are also starting to slowly change their business models, but we just need to keep pouring it on, keep scoring touchdowns, 
um, to drive that innovation and force the faster change. Yeah, well, you just reminded me, uh, a company that supports Fight for the Forgotten is named Jasco, and they're in Oklahoma City. And they give away 50% of, and they're a for-profit company. They make like electronics and a bunch of other stuff, but they make things with like GE, um, Energizer, uh, the little night lights that are for sale at home, Home Depot and Lowe's that like will project a Disney character or a Marvel uh, hero. Um, you know, they make all those. And from the start, they were giving away 10% and they went up to like 20 or 30. And then this is like a 40, 50 year old company. And then they went up to 50%. And the employees love working there because half of what they do goes to it's important. Yeah, yeah. Goes to the community or somewhere in the world. And they're included in on where they give. They get to like offer up um, their ideas on what charities they support. And they're a super successful company. And their owners are great guys. Uh, two brothers and their father started it. And they're just very giving charitable people. And then I'm thinking about I got to go on behalf of them or with them to speak at uh, the Home Depot headquarters in Atlanta and in Charlotte, I'm pretty sure Charlotte, uh, for Lowe's. And they had a product with me on it, um, kind of like an advertisement, and that it was going to fight for the forgotten. And, and I was thinking about that because earlier something you said, and consumers. They said at both these places, they brought up to me that at Home Depot and at Lowe's, there was like a new consumer study or statistic that came out. It said 84% of consumers are now classified as consumers who care, meaning they're actively looking for a product that gives back in the community. It's 84% of people are already hungry to find something and they would... If they're presented with two products, one has a cause and one doesn't, they're going to go with one that has the cause um, almost every time. Even if that product is of lesser like um, quality, they would, they would go with that. And so I thought that was a really interesting statistic because if they're rallying for a good cause, then people want to support it. People want to get behind it because I think that's at that's in the human DNA or the human heart, like to make this world better. Yeah, I think it's important. I do, I do. I never heard that stat, but I would say like totally why, if you could choose between one product that's doing something and the other product not. Um, for us, we wanted to take it one step further because typically the socially conscious products cost more. So we wanted to make sure we had the highest quality product for the cheapest possible price. Mm. And so that's why we went negative. I think, I think you're right about that because there's some products that because they give away 10% or something like that, then they charge more. Yeah. They charge 10% more. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. At least. So that's really interesting. So how, how does this sell to the people you talk to? We want to advertise and we want this not just free, but negative price. Cause we're also going to give some away. Is it, is it super easy for you whenever you go in for a meeting? 
it gets easier and easier, but obviously in the early days, nothing was easy, mm. right? Um, again, we got a hundred million organic impressions in the last 12 months on the internet, a hundred million. That's, we don't pay for marketing. And so that's huge. Like if you, if you compare us to the biggest social media, you know, products out there, like a Red Bull or whatever, we, we swing well above our weight class and spend a lot less money. It's all about the why, because people believe that water, food, and medicine should be free and done in the most eco-friendly manner. When we give someone a free water, they say, water should be free anyways. Yeah. And so we might, we might just make that our slogan. <laughs> and, and then um, other people believe it too. And so including advertisers. And so the reason why an advertiser, there's a lot of reasons why an advertiser would want to advertise. Um, we're kind of flipping the paradigm. Number one, most advertising mediums are annoying. And so they mm. attack you and inconvenience you into trying to make a purchase. People come to us. So it's a 180, like, oh, I could have something for free. And now, so they're happy that they got something for free. They're happy that it's not in a plastic bottle. They're happy that it saves lives. And that's when they should look at the can and be like Nike or McDonald's or Pizza Hut or whatever. And so there's also that sense of reciprocity. If, if, uh, if the brand buys you a free beverage or a free slice of pizza, you kind of psychologically owe it to them. So in the future, when all of, when, how many years it takes, when all of our free, you know, suite of groceries is available, and you're sitting down with your family and it's like, wow, just X number of years ago, we spent how much money on this meal? Who's responsible for it? And you look at, and you're like, it's Nike. Nike bought most of the shit on this table. Next time you go buy a pair of tennis shoes, are you going to go buy Adidas? Of course not. You're going to buy Nike because they literally helped you. And so it's, it's a different type of reciprocity and it doesn't hurt that it's cheaper than other ad mediums. So Believe it or not, the junk mail in your mailbox at your house still has the highest ROI in the USA ad industry at 29%. Still. Wow. And the cost per 10 impressions of junk mail for a, a single postcard by itself with a stamp is $4 every 10 impressions and up. Or a buck at scale on a bottle of water or a bag of potatoes. or And so it's cheaper than the junk mail in your mailbox and it's cheaper than a lot of digital platforms. And it just, you could do certain things that you can't do with any other ad medium. Isn't that crazy? It's cheaper than a digital way to reach you because digital is just, I mean, it's on your phone. They don't have to print anything. They don't have to send it. They well, don't it's to... cheaper than some. So some digital things could be a penny, even a penny an impression for not targeted. But as you like really target it and reel it in, then it's, it's 30 cents. Or if it's a direct, if it's a click, like cost per click, it's a buck. So at cost per click, then now that that's a cost, a price of a bag of potatoes at scale, right? And so, and and digital has its, you know, every ad medium has what it does great. Yeah. And, and so, digital does certain things well. It gets you to, you know, download an app, join a website, follow someone on social media, buy something right on the spot, or it could take you into a store. Like it's like, hey, go to Home Depot and get this discount. So you go in with that promo code. But our products can keep you in that store longer. It could do other things that you can't just, you can't do with an app. Sometimes there's no Wi-Fi, right? Mm. And so you need that little billboard in your hand that's like, hey, go over there and do this. Yeah. Can you use those to target? I mean, like the water? Yeah, of course. I mean, you, we could connect anything on the internet with a QR code. And so... 
Um, later as this, I, I've, I told this to you on your show. Number mm-hmm. one, I just want to point out, I hate fucking advertising. So <laughs> don't, don't take this as like, oh, this guy just really loves advertising. No, I hate fucking advertising, but it's the fastest way to scale and help people. I've created ways to make all this stuff free in the future with no ads and we still make money. It's just going to cost a lot more to build this new type of infrastructure. So eventually we'll disrupt the current model with free groceries with no ads. But as this scales out and as we build out, um, starting with the vending machines. So the first version of the vending machines were just walking down Austin. You're like, oh, there's a free vending machine. It's going to say, download this app, watch a couple ads in your phone like YouTube. Uh, it's Then you're going to pay like Apple Pay, boop, and out comes your free beverage. And that's going to limit it to one to three free snacks per person per day. Otherwise, you might empty out yeah, the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so once we have a vending machine on every corner in the country and then scale out to the world, we're going to be combining the the smart vending machine, the app, the label applicator, and the label printer, and our own future form of like Google AdWords with its bidding algorithms, which means now the advertiser could bid on the real estate in real time. So uh, we're walking down the street in Times Square. We all go to the vending machine. We're going to get an individualized paint job on every bottle, not just an individualized QR code. And so with those bidding algorithms, we might get up to 20 or $25 in that Manhattan vending machine or Times Square in New York City on New Year's Eve. Meanwhile, we're always going to get a buck in Flint, Michigan or Jackson, Mississippi, which pays for those people and still donates to charity. We'll still be extremely profitable. And so those same bidding algorithms will be applied to supermarkets. The better the location, the more money we make, the more money we pay them to give away free water which increases foot traffic. People are going to buy other products. The most likely advertiser in that supermarket are all the brands in that supermarket. Um, Same thing on your doorstep. So you will open up a 24-pack and you'll have 24 different individualized bottles just for your family. (laughs) And it can happen like that fast if you're using, you know, technology, right? Like, I mean, nothing that I said right now doesn't exist. It's just a reshuff- <laughs> it's just a reshuffling of decks, and it's just a fact that it's so counterintuitive. It takes us longer to scale than other startups because we're, when you're the first at something, you always have to score ten times the touchdowns to prove yourself. Mm. If I was just if we were just the Uber of something else, because every startup is the sharing the gig economy of something, it would be ten times easier to do stuff. And so, uh, we as we're scaling, we'll we'll keep scaling into these new business processes and it just gets better from here on out. Mm. You yeah, mentioned no. your low lows, like 10, yeah. 10 times below, whatever, 10 floors below. Uh, what have been your biggest hurdles and what were your lowest lows? Like what have been some of the biggest things that you've had to overcome business-wise? I mean, to start, I was terrified of computers. I was always the athlete and jock. I graduated high school in 2003. I didn't use a computer in high school back then. The teachers were like, if you type something, you might cheat. So you have to handwrite everything. And so that was fine with me because I hated computers. And so first it was teaching myself how to use a computer. Then it was different programs in it. Then it was the fact I knew nothing about marketing to start or I didn't know anything about manufacturing or so every, you know, it was like the first two years, just people door slamming in my face. You're fucking crazy. Um, And at first I tried my best to launch in Europe because that's where I invented this and I personally like the lifestyle living in Europe mm. better. You don't need a car. You walk to the farmer's market yep. every day. You do every day. 
Um, your stuff isn't wrapped in plastic. I would go get a loaf of bread every day from the bakery. If you didn't eat it, you could, it's like a brick at the end of the day. You could throw it through a window. So it was like fresh bread that wouldn't last for months. We'd go to the butcher shop. Everything was wrapped in paper. Everybody knew my, I really liked that. Um, but I couldn't raise the capital needed in Europe, but most importantly, I couldn't find in Europe. It's a thousand times harder to find people who will work for equity than in the U.S. It's still hard in the U.S. Maybe one in a hundred are willing to do it, but in Europe, it's maybe one in 10,000. So then I moved to America. And at first we were in Silicon Valley for nine or 10 months. And I quickly realized, okay, a lot of my business processes that I created were based around European culture where most people walk. So I assumed, okay, they're going to walk by the vending machine. They're going to walk by a kiosk. They're going to walk by a store and you just give it to them. But I was living in a house full of uh, people that worked at Facebook and Google at first and they had everything shipped to their house, even like bags of tomatoes. And I'm, I'm okay with shipping groceries to my house, but I like picking out my fruits and vegetables. I'm right. really particular about like picking that steak from there and picking this because I want to look at it. But these people didn't. And so I was like, oh, fuck, I have to invent a way to now give Americans free local delivery in the future. But this is a save the world kind of project. So I put the, I raised the bar really high. I was like, I got to be able to give people free local delivery. Our delivery drivers need to earn five times what you could earn at an Uber or like a gig economy job because we didn't want, we want everybody, we want this to benefit everybody. And then we have to save money. So how do you save money? How do you pay someone 5X what, what the economy is currently paying them for that? And how do you do it for free to the consumer? And so that took me a lot of time. I mean, two weeks straight of staring at a dry erase board. Um, and then I, I cracked that. So that was the hardest thing to invent by far. Um, and that's that. And micro, how do you crack it? Through that, what do you uh, do? Through that micro factory decentralized okay. model where everything is uh, made locally for that local community. And then now there's no shipping involved. Right. So you cut out 90% of the supply chain. And so I'll give you an example. Um, how much does it cost about for one of those 10 or 20 little factories that are going to make it? Um, We'll call a blanket statement uh, 10 million a location because I want to own the land. I want to own the building. I want to own the machines. And so 10, it's, it's really five, but I always like to be sure. conservative here. Um, so 10 million per location. And so uh, that box right there has a 24 pack in it. You'll get four of those boxes on your doorstep. And so if we just sent one of these a few miles from the post office, even with a business account to your house, it's going to cost us roughly 20 bucks to ship that because we don't do Amazon quantity, obviously, right? And that's as low as we could get it. But in the future, we're going to pay our gig workers 10 cents per unit. And so they drop 90, they drop nearly 100 of these off on your doorstep. That's 10 bucks. They go back to the car, get another 100, go to the next house. That's 10 bucks. We tested this last South by Southwest. Four of us did a delivery thing. And none of us made less than $125 an hour. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. putting four 24 packs on your doorstep that way would have cost us $80 to $100. And so it costs us $10. So $10 compared to the $100 plus that they would currently. And so it that took a lot to crack. Um, and then what do you do with all the bottles? Like, do we just recycle them? I mean... I can't recycle them for the people. Um, right. Big picture, it'll be a circular model. So we'll, we'll, we'll drop them off and then we'll pick them up. So it'll be, 
it'll be super simple. But you have to start somewhere. I mean, for sure, mm-hmm. for it, sure, it's better than plastic too. Yeah. Right? Like, um, and so um, that so that was like not a low, but that was just difficult. Um, then my wife and I, we ran out of money. We ran out of our life savings. Uh, we moved to Austin. Luckily, it was like 100 days before the pandemic started, so pure luck. And, uh, you know, we we didn't own any furniture. We were sleeping on a popped air mattress that was like used for 40 bucks from Walmart. Our cat Garfield went and popped it. So every night at like midnight and then four in the morning, we had to refill, refill it. it. <laughs> and um, meanwhile, I was still spending every penny on the project. Like I'm lucky my wife didn't leave me, but it's a save the world sort of thing. So I got a little bit of leeway on that. And so, um, so yeah, it just got lower and lower as things weren't scaling, couldn't give up on it. It got shittier and shittier. I was doing Uber late at night during the pandemic, which sucked. Um, it really sucked because I met some horrible people while being an Uber driver. They, people treat Uber drivers like shit. That's my experience from that. And so I was just trying to get out of debt. I was like 60K in debt at the time. I was going to go bankrupt on it because it was like, fuck it, whatever for the project. And um, then I got a call. My mom had passed away. Mm. And that really sucked because like a few weeks before I had called her just like, hey, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll quarantine. I'll come out. I'll take care of you. She's like, no, no, no. You're getting somewhere with your project. Like, keep keep going. You're almost there. I'm fine. And so what really broke my heart was I didn't get our first free water samples into her hands before she died. But also like her dying words to the paramedic were, please don't take me to the hospital. I can't afford my hospital bills. Mm. And I already created models to make all these things free in the future. And so that really like dug at me because it was like, fuck, I already solved these things, but because I didn't work hard enough, you know? And so, but that, that just kind of was like fuel on the fire. Like I need to fucking hurry up. Yeah, I get it. Um, I've had a moment where we try to drill a well and it's the manual drilling method because we can't we can't take a big truck into the rainforest because there are no roads exactly. and to even clear a road. So we have to hike in over one ton of well drilling equipment. And the first young boy I buried was named Andy Bo, but the second was, was Bobo. <laughs> and I tried for more than two weeks to drill a well in their village, but everything in the ground was sand, sandstone. And so it's, it's really hard to drill through. You have it to drill that deeper up. or do you have to? You, well, you have to get through it. And sandstone can be harder than granite actually to get through because think about sandpaper. And if you rub that on anything, it sands wood, right? It sands stones down. Um, and so metals will get dull. They'll bend, they'll warp. Mess up the bits. Yeah, I'll mess up the bits. So I was really putting them through all the stress, trying to wrestle with the earth to get, to get my whole team was. And, um, this was a village that was next to Andy Bo and I saw how sick they were. So we were drilling each day, every day I broke probably 10 or more chisels with a hammer trying to get through the sandstone because we didn't think the sandstone layer was that thick. But man, I was down, I mean, it was well over my head deep and we had a ladder that we'd get down into this hole and we opened it up basically like a grave so we could fit down there. 
and broke pickaxe after pickaxe would break, would bend the tips or I would break the handle and I had just everything on me and Bob ended up passing away before we were able to get clean water there. And I was just like, ah, you know, like this was why we were doing it. So, but taking those moments and just saying, Hey, you know, uh, now we're building, getting ready to build a hospital and a school so that they'll never be denied hospital treatment again. It's over a two hour walk for the nearest hospital or school. And so to be able to, and we're starting a farm and all this other stuff. So it's like, um, you know, building it in honor of Andy Bo and Babo. So that way it's like, they didn't, you know, not saying they passed in vain, but they, you know, it's a way to honor them and uh, thank them and to say future kids are going to have this. Definitely. So how deep was the sandstone? Um, it was, so we had to pick up and move, which meant that the village had a choice to pick up and move. Um, and so this was outside of Comanda town and it was basically like two or three football fields away. And then, um, we were able to finally get through, um, and the well, I would say our sweet spot was 60 to 90 feet deep, but we could go 150 feet deep with the manual drilling. But if you have a mechanized rig, you can go hundreds of feet, right? But sometimes, oftentimes, especially in the rainforest, you don't need to go hundreds of feet because the aquifers are up higher. And so literally you're just going past clean water. Um, and there's no real need to do that. So, um, if there's a good enough recharge rate and, uh, permeability or porosity of the soil where it, it, it fills up, um, a lot. And that brings me to this question. Where, where is the spring water from? Yeah. So today, uh, I mean, we don't have our own facilities yet. So we outsource, um, to different springs across the USA for both aluminum bottles and paper cartons. So that particular water came from Georgia. Georgia's uh, famous for its spring water because they yeah. get all that rain, which is why Coke put their headquarters there. So they yeah. can slurp it all up. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, again, uh, different, different manufacturers for different types of containers. We're not married to a certain type of container. We just don't want to do plastic bottles. Um, big picture, we aim to make the world's first 100% hemp packaging here in Austin. Hmm. Um, but I'm, we usually aluminum bottles in the paper cartons because they represent the fastest lead time and greenest containers that are available to us today. But again, the supply chain is so stupid that you don't have many options that aren't 100% plastic. Right. Right. So that also limits the manufacturers, right? There's so many manufacturers in the USA that you could manufacture plastic bottle from of water, whatever type of water, but 99% of them are plastic only, or maybe more, maybe 99.9%. Wow. So it kind of limits the options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think is a, I mean, how five years you've had ups and downs, but how do you rise up over the, the down periods? Is it through guilt or do you remind yourself of the purpose? Is it, um, you know, or have there been moments you've, I mean, at the beginning, you sounded like you wanted to give it away or quit I wanted on to it. quit like one million times, but what are you, you know, like, how am I going to feel the rest of my life if, you know, 100,000 people a day are dying? That's a lot. That's a lot of guilt, right? Like, for whatever reason, nobody else created the models that I created. 
And, and I, and while I found a lot of people are working to solve it, not, I haven't met people who are like, Hey, I created a way to end global, whatever, without a penny of tax dollars. So usually the model that I hear, it's like, yeah, I got this great system. Now we just got to raise this much money from the UN or, and so, you know, I, that it is what it is. Like I, I just started doing it just cause I didn't hear other models that seemed like they were going to happen. You know, it always, it always involves spending more money It involved the consumer spending more money or the government spending more money so, or, or something. So, I, you know, just flips it all around. Yeah. Just why, why not do something completely radically different? <laughs> yeah. Um, hearing that story about your mom and you mentioned big pharma, what, do you envision for medicine and for, you know, healthcare expenses? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I'll, again, I've created, um, just with like advertising and other sorts of things like that involved, maybe 25 different ways to make these things free or negatively priced. You don't have any free time. I mean, <laughs> so no, no, but like <laughs> some of the processes are longer than others. Okay. So when you do business, you obviously want to make it shortest to A to B. So this first model we call the BVRE category, below the value of the real estate, which means any product you transform the real estate into ad space, it covers the cost of the manufacturing, uh, distribution, donation to charity, salesperson's commission, and our profit. This works for water, soda, beer, some wines, um, legal marijuana, fruits, vegetables, uh, household cleaning items such as Windex or you name it, uh, toiletries, Chips, pastas, all, all that sort of stuff. Low end generic pharmaceuticals, Advil, Tylenol, cough syrup, uh, certain types of clothing if you don't mind the ads being on the shirt, um, but most people don't want that. But it's not just cheapy, crappy items or low end things because it almost works for most types of public transportation. So let's say if Amy was an Uber driver full time in Austin, that's all she did. If you just wrapped your vehicle in ads and charged exactly what the Austin taxi company would charge, you'd bring in a minimum of 2K a month just right there. So that would cover your vehicle payment, your insurance, some of your fuel, maybe all of your fuel, maybe a little bit of your time. And so then you have everything else. And we call that category the AVRE category. And we haven't launched that yet. And so that's a digital ad play. And so uh, Facebook, or sorry, YouTube and TikTok on average bring in 40 cents a minute for their video player. 40 cents a minute. That's the standard. We're going to charge the standard but we're going to pay our audience 37 of those cents, meaning the average American is going to get paid $21 an hour to watch ads and train our AI. And so $21 an hour, it might not be for everybody, but a lot of people will do that. My mom had three master's degrees before she passed away. She couldn't find a job anywhere because she was disabled. She couldn't work at Walmart even as a greeter because she couldn't sit in the chair for that long. She would have watched ads for $1 an hour if she could. So now let's say... Um, we built that out already and, and, and you're participating in it and you've already done it where you have a thousand bucks saved up. It'll come in the form of like a, of a credit card in your wallet for people who like that swiping or like a PayPal system in the app. So let's say you, you've done it, you have that. So now you go swipe that uh, credit card at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, wherever you shop, you go buy something at the Apple store, you go shopping on Amazon with your time, you get back to zero. Now you're just going to charge it with your free time. And so you could apply that to... I guess the question is with that, what can't be free? And so if you did that full time, you would be making more than 40 grand a year. So then it's anything within a $40,000 a year salary. In some states, maybe you could finance a home. And other, in Austin, you know, so a lot of states you can't, right? So 
that's how you would knock out those things. But uh, the other way to look at it too is um, if I pay you $10 or I save you $10, it, it's the same amount of value. Yeah. And so as you create these new business models, the cost savings is so high that you can do other things too. So I'll give you an example. Um, 30, 30% of all groceries in the United States go straight from the supermarket shelf and into the trash, trash because it's too expensive or because the supply chain is broken. So it takes so long to get there that it expires too quickly and then it's too expensive. So free supermarkets across the board, that cuts uh, 30% of food waste right there. So it's like 50 or 60 billion in savings in the US just right there. But it's more than that because that piece of fish was caught in Alaska or in Argentina. So the fuel it took to catch that fish then it, it, it's wrapped in styrofoam and plastic, right? Well, that came from oil in Saudi Arabia. Then that oil was shipped in a tanker to China where they were the largest creator of plastic pellets. Then those plastic pellets were shipped to Alaska where they smelted it and turned it into the materials. Then that piece of fish didn't go straight from Alaska to your HEB or food place. Usually it has like seven stops each time. And then they take the pallet, remove it, empty the truck, then fill the truck. And so it's so much stuff just to have it thrown away. Mm. And so that prevention is, is worth a ton in itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think about ton. <laughs> tilapia and shrimp that come from China and the farms there and that some of those things are having sewage feed right into them and tilapia are like bottom feeders and so are like shrimp basically. And then, and then, um, oftentimes the people that are working those, it's, slave wages or indentured servitude or, or it's modern day slavery. And it's like, uh, all that to get it over here. What if, what if it didn't take that? And just, I, I used to eat tilapia in, in Africa, right on Lake Victoria. And it comes in other places too, like the Congo river, but a tilapia filet we get here is like not even the size of my palm, but in Africa, I mean, these things are massive, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're gorgeous. They're massive. They, they taste good and they feed you a lot. But just think about that farm race stuff, how sm much smaller and how just wasteful, like what you said, wasteful it is. Yeah. So the future is free, but the, or negative the price future is free, but it's local. Mm. It's local. And so back, you know, 50 or a hundred years ago, everything was local, right? I mean, certain things you had to ship in because it just wasn't possible to produce there. And that it'll always be that way. I mean, sometimes you just need to have something manufactured because those materials are natural in one country and not yours. But now with 3D printing, with all of the technology out there, like the Dutch and the Netherlands, they produce more farm or more food per square meter with vertical indoor farming than any other country in the world. Then come Singapore. Um, for two acres of vertical indoor farming, it's it's more than a hundred acres of traditional farming, and 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 you save ninety something percent of the water with no pesticides or uh, mm. all these other things. So the tech is already there, right, to produce pretty much everything locally. Uh, now it just needs to be applied, and we're just trying to take those systems, throw some ads on it, make it at location A, give it away for free at location A. That's it. Mm. And said, instead of it circling the whole globe to get to you, like um, if you buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, the basic coffee, and you dissect everything, um, the coffee came from Colombia, I guess, uh, sugar probably from the Caribbean, 
right? Um, maybe the milk <clears throat> somewhere here in the U.S., but all the stops that it took those to get there, but then the packaging, right? The paperboard probably got cut in the U.S., but it would be, it would make sense if they cut the paperboard and they did everything at the same location. But when you track down the inks and the printing and this and that, that's probably another couple thousand miles. But then you got that plastic cap and then the plastic cap came from oil from Saudi, shipped to China to make plastic pellets. And then it comes all the way across the world. By the way, the cap has PFAS in it, which is known to cause blood cancer. Oh, man. And so when you track when you track all of the mileage of just a cup of coffee that they sell for two or three bucks, it's like 5,000 miles. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, like, why did it need to travel the globe to get there when that you could do most of that right here in Austin? That means that the cost of the coffee would be a tenth of the amount. And if they were selling it, they could still sell it for a fraction of the price and still have the same margins. And so that's the system that we're doing. Just do everything locally whenever possible. But then we're adding all these other revenue streams, the advertising, uh, commission from shopping, uh, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So it, just get rid of the crap because you'll, you'll find that a lot of things in business are done just a copycat. Like I, I created this t-shirt company, so I'm going to copy some other people that created a t-shirt company. I'm not going to question anything. Um, so you just get rid of the crap. That's the hard part. And then add in these other new revenue streams. And now, you know, before you know it, you're profitable at a negative value proposition. Hmm. What does that mean? You're profitable at a negative value proposition. Sorry, so, I don't uh, understand that phrase. This this water's 110% off, even more than that, because it says 10 cents per bottle goes to charity, but we, we're roughly donating 16 cents right now, just because mm -hmm. we feel like that's the right thing to do. And so... Just because you feel like that's the right thing to do. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. why we're here, right? To, You're to like, save we lives. can, so we do. I feel guilty that it took me like a quarter of millions of dollars in training R&D, and I didn't throw that into the water wells to begin with. So yeah. that makes me feel guilty too. But, um, <laughs> but, um, so the only way to make something negatively priced is it has to be free. And then I either have to pay you to drink it or pay you to eat it or pay you to, you know, consume the service or whatever, or pay charity. It's either pay you or pay charity. I haven't figured out another way to add value beyond zero. And so that's why we created this was, uh, we want you know, in capitalism, it's a zero sum game. So we were like, okay, let's let's create a different economic model where everybody wins. And so the consumer gets something for free. The advertiser gets their desired audience. We donate to charity and the manufacturer gets their asking price. So that's kind of the opposite of zero sum game. And so we're, we're whatever, 110, 115% off right now. Someone one day is going to be like, well, fuck you guys. We're going to go 120. And that night we'll go 121. <laughs> and so, you know, we're... We're taking it to negative 150, 160 one day. So we're kind of just keeping it low right now so we could build up. Um, but that's where it's going. And so what, what are you going to do? You're going to beat us by opening a better free supermarket that donates more money to charity? That's, that's great, right? And so we want companies and organizations and individuals to compete with us in this negative zone. Because then what are you competing at? You're competing at who could help the consumer, the local community, the environment, or some charitable cause? Is that, is that competition? Would Amazon ever take this up, do you think? Yes, you because it's more profitable. So even if they don't give a fuck about any of these things and you just care about money, you have to copy because uh, it's, it's just such a 
better value than what your company offers. <laughs> so eventually as this movement grows outside of our organization as it is, and there's a lot more competition, I mean, if you could choose between the pizza or the free pizza, you're going to go with the free pizza as long as it tastes pretty much the same. If you could go with the free pizza or the free pizza that pays you to eat it, that's <laughs> obviously what you're going to go with. And so it's going to completely revolutionize the way that Walmart, Amazon, and Target does business because they can't offer free local delivery, right, without losing their ass. But in this model, they can offer it and save 2,000% of their current cost. How, wow. how could you, you know, mm -hmm. they have to copy. They're, they're, there's, there's, no, there's no choice. We even are, uh, we're selling an open source manual in the coming months. And uh, then we'll be distributing it for free. But it's the playbook to help you make any of these things free or negatively priced and dozens of ways how to do it. So step by step. So that way you don't have to go through the disastrous first 36 months that I went to. Just <laughs> skip right to the dinner table and, and get to work. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that in it's... itself is counterintuitive and revolutionary for a company to think that way. To think like, let's, let's give away our manual. Like, here you go. Well, right. we're a company, but this is a movement, right? It's a movement yeah. to save those lives in the most efficient way possible. <laughs> if we don't, I mean, who cares about money if, if things keep going to shit, right? And so, again, like, it's not a competition. I don't see it as a competition. We're, yeah, we're going to make money. It's an uncomfortable amount of money. But that's not what the point is. Mm -hmm. I wonder, so like you said something about 50 years ago um, and talking about the supermarkets and I saw that statistic or the news article that said more than 50% of our food available at grocery stores weren't, weren't invented 50 years ago. Um, you know, all the different, uh, whatever you call it, preservatives and cereals or candies or whatever it is. You go in a grocery store and I was like, I don't know if that's true. And I looked around, I was like, oh my gosh, everything's in boxes and bags except for produce and meat. Um, and a lot of the stuff that's in the deli department, right? Like that's uh, processed stuff that's sold that you put in a microwave. Um, and it's like, wow, that's that's so true. How do we, how do we get back to what... Um, like basically our ancestors and original man, and you're saying go local. And then I'm thinking about it because I mean, that's just such a shock, right? We got to go back to that, but make it better in new innovative ways. I have, I saw that boxing glove behind you that's signed by some of our donors and supporters. It made me think of my coach, Trevor Whitman and my boxing coach uh, and MMA coach from right after actually on the ultimate fighter. And then right after He's one of the best MMA coaches um, in the world. He's the only man to be made MMA coach of the year and boxing coach of the year. And he actually did it in the same year. Wow. Um, so he's one of the best to ever do it as a coach. And he's inspiring. He's kind of an outside-the-box kind of thinker. And if I'm not getting this wrong, I don't believe he's ever had a fighter break their hand in a fight. So he doesn't have the cutmen. Uh, or the people that the UFC or professional boxing organizations use to, to tape hands. He does it himself. 
and I still have hand wraps that I was using before I started using his gloves that I had him tape my hands. I'd cut them off because whenever I moved to Texas or Oklahoma, I'm like, I need his wraps on my hands that protect them. So we'd cut them and then I'd just tape them every day going back in. So that's what he was known for. And then he decided why in the world, no matter what brand it is, why in the world, if I buy 16 ounce gloves, this one's going to be 18 ounces. This one's going to be 15 ounces. Like there's no quality control on it and you don't really know what you're getting. And he said, and this is the same way we made boxing gloves, like at least 50 years ago, if not more like 60, 70, 80 years ago, like we're still have this, maybe it looks a little better, but it's not any safer. And he wants to help fighters stop breaking their hands. So he invented the first ever glove. You don't need hand wraps in it's called Onyx O N X. And he worked with hand surgeons and, uh, and orthopedic doctors to be like, I want to do this X wrap inside the glove that then, um, we're going to MRI or X-ray their hands. Once these gloves are on, Amy's bringing them up now. O N X. Uh, it's the ones on the left. Can you pull up the website actually? Mm -hmm. Okay. There it is. And it's basically a new, and he, that's Kamardian Usman. Uh, he's, he's his coach, Rose Nama Yunus, world champion, world champion, Justin Gaethje, going to be a world champion. There's Justin Gaethje. And it's just a two strap system, but because of it, nobody needs to wear hand wraps inside of it. Like he's an innovator and he's also developed the MMA glove. And here's what is the MMA glove also two straps. Yes. And you don't need hand wraps inside these MMA gloves and awesome. they're more curved over the knuckles. So there's less eye pokes and it's better for grappling. And how's it better um, for grappling? It's better for grappling because, um, well, because current gloves and organizations, they're really flat on the back. And you, when you get them, you have to break them in everyone backstage before a fight, coaches yeah. are grabbing them and they're, they're bending them, bending them, bending them. Cause they come stiff. They come hard. Like a baseball glove. Yes, like a baseball glove, but you got to do it within an hour's time, right? Um, and you got to wrap them and, and tape them up and, and try to have them broken in. So his already come basically formed to your hand. You can even use a, a uh, blow dryer and you put a hot blow dryer inside the gloves so that it will heat form, form. to your hand, not somebody else's hand. That's awesome. And so it's like custom made. So the reason I bring that up is I saw the gloves, but then there's been his models taking off because what he said is in the NFL, they have like safety uh, requirements to make sure they have the best helmets, the best pads. Um, and so he has the best headgear that absorbs the most from, and it's low profile. So it's not thick. So you're not taking shots that you wouldn't be taking. It's more realistic. And he's had great success with the fighters that fight at high levels because they're willing to pay the price that's more expensive. Um, but with certain leagues, and I'll leave those unnamed, they would rather the fighters fight with cheaper gloves. That means they get more broken hands. That means there's more cuts on their opponent's faces and means that there's more eye pokes that can end a fighter's career than to pay a little more for a superior product that protects the fighters getting into the fight and then protects the fighters while they're inside the fight. What's the cost difference like? Um, 50 bucks. I mean, they're like $300 pair of gloves, which actually is cheaper than some. Um, I mean, it's, but, it's, it seems like it's worth it, right? Oh, it's who worth wants, it. Who wants a broken hand? Number right. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so worth it. But I just think about that and the challenge that he's having. He's like the, 
He's he's arguably one of the best coaches of all times. And he's created, he, he literally started this because it was a need in the market. And he decided to take sewing machines and go into his lab, which was his basement, and start custom making this headgear by measuring people's he- heads, measuring their hands, measuring their shins so he can make them shin guards. And they give him custom gear. Now he's taking it wide and far into the marketplace. But getting no's, I know, is a, a challenge for him. He's got Rashad Evans, Justin Gaethje, and like lining up a big deal, maybe with a big promotion, and then maybe having them pull out. And it's it's like, oh, man, this is so needed in every single fight organization in the world. Every single boxer's hand, every single mixed martial artist's hand. Um, and I'm just thinking, what what's the pushback you've gotten and how do you overcome the challenges when you have something that's so much better, like when will this take fire and just keep plugging away? And I know that just, I won't share the story, but just from a personal experience with, with that brand, it's like they had something teed up and then it was basically taken away from them for a inferior product um, that, that does no good in the market. All it is is advertising for, for a cheaper company. Okay, number one outside of this, yeah. I'd love to talk to that guy because okay. you could totally give him some free uh, advice that would help them scale and sell a lot more gloves more quickly. Cool. Because it's all about the why. His product's about the why. That's what yeah. it says on his website too. And so my question is, how is he utilizing social media? Because I think he could be doing it a million times better, even though I'd, maybe I'm wrong because I, yeah. I don't know anything about it, but, but we could probably help him. I'd love to help him uh, for free just to where he could blow get this 100 up. million views in a year because a year. he could definitely he could probably 10x that with having people like yeah. Rashad Evans involved and, and so and, and just all the people Rose Nomi Yunus yeah so so I just think um it depends on it, it's always your your outlook in life right how many times did you get submitted in jujitsu or knocked on your ass Never. And you didn't quit. Never. No, no, but oh, I'm it, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Like I'm teasing. Yeah. So some people it, it happens. Some people it still happens. Some people More rare. But um, yeah. some people when something bad happens to them, they that's it. Yeah, you know. And so it's like, do you want to be that? And that's most people, I think. You know, like okay, that's it. It sucked. I failed. I tried once. It didn't work. Yeah. I tried once. I tried twice. I, I tried 10 times work. and it didn't work. Or or you're just going to be relentless and find a way to get it done regardless. Mm. No pun intended, but how many times are you going to go back to the well, right? And just keep going back, keep going back, keep going back until you, until you hit water. Totally. And so um, very few people are willing to iterate as many times as it takes. You know, whatever they're doing, they're not willing, they're only, maybe they're willing to tear down and rebuild once or five times, but sometimes it takes thousands of times, right? And so there's people who are willing to do that and there's people that aren't. It doesn't matter what your field is. You could be an athlete, you could be an inventor, you could be a software engineer, like you could, you know, have a t-shirt company, whatever it is, but some people are willing to do it and some people aren't. And so I think that's that main, that main, like, line in the sand. I just think it's like the persistency line. Mm. Most 99% of the people are not persistent enough for whatever reason. 1% or less are. Mm. I like that. How important is it to have, like if you're on this journey and you're married, how important is it to have a uh, supportive partner that, um, 
you know, what's that dynamic like? And and do you devote this kind of, um, or do you put this kind of devotion into your relationship too? Unfortunately, there's only so many hours in the day. And so um, I have put a lot more time into the project or then into myself or or our relationship. And it sucks. Um, but she believes that these things are important too. And so um, it is one of those things. You know, my wife grew up in rural Belgrade, Serbia, um, outside of Belgrade. In the 90s, they had the third worst hyperinflation recorded in human history. So she was a baby, but her family grew up through some pretty hairy times. And so she also believes that the current system sucks and we need to do something differently. And so that helps. Um, she's also way smarter than me at, I'm that person who didn't pay attention in school at all, period. Um, she actually finished my bachelor's degree for me. Because <laughs> when I got out of the army, I had the GI Bill. She was like, hey, I'm just going to finish your degree for you so I could practice my English. Um, she she just graduated recently from MIT from like an 11-month uh, wow. software engineering course. Like didn't even try and got like a 98%. And so she's like more book smart than anyone I've ever met who works at Google or anywhere else. So she's, you know, and so that helps. Um, she, she helped also uh, with our website. She's going to help write the code on our future free vending machines. So it, it is cool to be able to do that. The partnership. Yeah, it is be cool to do a lot of that stuff together. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, I guarantee you the first few years, she was just like, who the fuck did I marry? Like, <laughs> why the fuck is he just writing in these notebooks? And what are we doing? <laughs> we're just spending our life savings and we're living on a popped air mattress. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. But... um. Well, for her, for her to be able to write the code, that's pretty special. And then I guess she would also get to say, I'm sleeping with a boss. <laughs> I, I think I'm sleeping with the boss. <laughs> okay. You're sleeping with the boss. Great. So, um, but she, she's always helped to be the moral compass of the project mm. too, because it is easy to forget when you're doing something that, that when she so... understands, she at least comes from an area that faced a lot of these challenges mm -hmm. that you're helping solve together collectively totally and so it it's really helpful to get different perspectives and um you know um it, it's been helpful the whole time yeah well great i know that we we have maybe about five more minutes before we're going to wrap i wonder how you could set up or cast if anyone's listening to this and they have any sort of questions or confusion or just would want to hear it all again in a sort of a bite-sized bit, maybe a three-minute clip or a five-minute clip, how would you, with your words, like take some brush strokes and like paint the picture and give them a good word picture of like what, if everything you could do would happen, what it would look like and really have the, having them buy into it, like supporting it like to make this thing possible and to get the engine and the gears. The mega vision sales turning. pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put me on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. Say everything in one second. Yeah. Um, and convince us all. <laughs> yeah. I, we live in an odd time. Uh, if you believe, I mean, I've driven a lot of self-driving cars. Uh, I see the, the 
how fast everything is going. You know, now Elon's saying, oh, we're going to have these robots and they're going to do the work you don't want to do. Maybe the version 1.0 is going to do the work that you don't want to do. A few upgrades later, all of a sudden it knows JavaScript, Python. And next thing you know, we're all out of the job. And so we live in America, uh, for better or for worse. I do not think we're ever going to have a universal basic income in this country. And so projects like this that are going to give you free groceries, free computers, free everything, also uh, potentially pay you to consume your stuff for free while you're donating to charity are going to become more and more important. Uh, and so you'll see all sorts of entrepreneurs coming up with methods to do that. And so it's a weird time. In the near future, you're either going to be a producer or a consumer. And more than 99% of us just going to be consuming, consuming content, consuming this, consuming that. And so someone's got to help them when there is no jobs in the near future. And that is at the latest 10 years away. Most of us will all be flat on our ass because the robot took our job. Not that person from Mexico or China. It's that robot. It's that automation. And so, you know, free groceries are, are going to be a big part of helping everybody. And in the meantime, you know, how do you, I guess the, we're all happy. A lot of us in the U.S. are happy with our lifestyles. If you're middle class, you've got nice things, you've got this, this or that. So what about that person in the poorest corner of the world? And they, you know, in order for them to get where we're at today, we don't want them to have the same industrial revolution, burning all that coal, burning all these fossil fuels. If all of them do that to get to where we're at today, we're all screwed in every country, right? Because every tree is going to be cut down every... So systems need to be put in place that are profitable, that help bring those people up, but clean everything up here. And, and that's what we created without a penny of tax dollars. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, we're happy to support you. Where can people find all this? Uh, follow us on social media, on Instagram, uh, TikTok, reach out on the website, uh, freewater.io, or just Google free water and we'll pop up. <laughs> okay. I'll put it all in the show notes too. Yeah, we will. Mm -hmm. How can people follow you personally? Is it through free water? Uh, yeah, through free water. You could just Google Josh Clifford, something will pop up. You could listen to this cool podcast or the yeah, one yeah. I did with Amy a little yeah, while back. The one with Amy, she it was one of her favorites. So, uh, well, if you liked this, just let's go back something to so revolutionary and so world changing just appeals to me in so many ways. And it just blew me away. Like what you're trying to do. I mean, why We're not? We're doing it. We're not Wh trying. Well, yes. I'm it's sorry. Happening. Yes. I let me that. rephrase you what go. you're doing. You know, it's, um, I just, I just am in. I, I think, yes. Why not try? Why not have that mindset of anything's possible? Let's just figure it out. Everything's possible. Everything's possible. What, is, uh, what does your shirt say? Uh, Well-behaved women rarely make history. So, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that was Well-behaved anyone. Yeah. Let's just yeah. say, so you like, know, like. Yeah, like you talking about it. I just thought that was unique. I just noticed your shirt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's creating a a new system that would make a lot of the old system obsolete, like creating something better. Just a, so, a system to get people like yourself more donations. Yeah, yeah. Right? But we invite Because mm -hmm. donations are the lifeblood of you yeah. helping people. So Absolutely. how to get amazing people such as yourself, the donations you need. Yeah. And during this yeah. podcast already, I was thinking about what, what, what could I help create that would be a product that people could 
purchase that would go back to the cause. And so that's why you got to do the free one because it's free, fast transaction, fast donations right back into your organization. Right. That's awesome. This is great. I'm excited that we had you on the show. I'm grateful for you. Um, I'm really grateful that you have the kind of heart that can be softened, molded, and almost steeled, meaning like, like fortified, um, on a, to be a man on a mission with a vision to make happen. So thanks for being here. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Both of you on your amazing shows. Much appreciated. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Josh. Cute. Well, that's a wrap. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.